misinformation about the COVID-19 vaccine is moving as fast, if not faster, than COVID itself. Many areas of the country have low rates of vaccinations, and that is particularly true in minority communities. There are a lot of reasons why, but Gary Puckran says, what we have here is a failure to communicate. So we can talk about warp speed and, uh, and people in the science and the world understand exactly what, what that means, but people in the community may not understand exactly what you're talking about. It sounds like you're rushing things around, you haven't tested the doggone thing, and you want to inject me with it, and God knows what'll happen, I'll grow horns uh, for all I know. Hi, I'm Irene Silber, and this podcast is part of the Vanguard Vaccination Project. Gary Puckran runs the National Minority Quality Forum, a nonprofit that uses data to help improve the health of minority populations. The Vanguard Network's Ken Banta talked with Dr. Puckran about this work and what business and nonprofit leaders can do to help when it comes to COVID-19. Let's begin with uh, with your own story. Uh, how did you uh, become a doctor and uh, how did you end up uh, president of this organization? So my pathway is a little unusual. So my doctorate is actually in history. I studied Aristotle and Galen and bloodletting and such like. Um, I uh, published a magazine for Smithsonian for about a decade um, and learned a lot about where people lived. Um, there are about uh, 38,000 zip codes in the country where people live. 70% of African-Americans live in 2,500 zip codes. 70% of Hispanics are in 2,500 zip codes. 50% of Asians are in 1,500 zip codes. So around 8,000 zip codes across the country is where the minority population live. And so when I left Smithsonian, I, I wanted to work with minority organizations that had uh, publications, but they really weren't getting value because they weren't uh, publishers and started doing work with the National Dental Association and the National Medical Association, which brought me into the world of healthcare. And what I quickly realized is that um, while there was great data out there uh, around, uh, around health, um, no one was collecting the data down at the zip code level to understand what was happening to minority populations. So we decided that uh, we were going to um, make our contribution by collecting health data. Uh, which we've been doing for 20 years, not just on those 8,000 zip codes, but for the whole country. Uh, we've built a database now, over 5 billion patient records. We collect data on about 160 million lives per year. And we partner uh, a lot with patient advocacy groups and others, uh, because as we move into the world of big data and big data analytics, community-based organizations, patient advocacy groups, uh, really don't have the capacity. And so uh, we try to be their data backbone uh, and provide uh, data uh, for them that helps them uh, as they go about their mission to improve uh, health outcomes for populations. Could you give us an example of uh, where that data has been of uh, practical value? I can see how it is, but tell us how it translates into actions or policy decisions or other matters that uh, would be related to the data. Uh, I'm going to speak uh, directly to COVID. Uh, one of the things that uh, we were really struck by, uh, if you remember in August of uh, 2020, uh, we were predicting that 500,000 people would have died from the, uh, from the virus by February. And sure enough, 500,000 people 
died uh, by February, but we didn't take the data down to the zip code level so that communities um, could use that data uh, to persuade people to guess what, wear your mask, social distance. And as the vaccines came aboard, uh, we're a vaccine in order to mitigate risk. And so what we decided to do uh, was to build what we call a COVID index and not just put the data out there, meaning historic data, uh, but we put predictive analytics uh, to it. And so we were predicting COVID events about 30 days before they actually occurred, uh, because the idea was if people had that information in hand, it's like a hurricane warning. The hurricane is about to surge in your community and whatever you think about it, uh, you need to get uh, wear your mask, social distance, wash your hands. Uh, and if you're not vaccinated, get vaccinated. Uh, and that's how we can uh, really uh, mitigate risk. Now that's remarkable. And um, if we jump to today and looking forward over the next four to five months, uh, would it be right to say that uh, leaders of for-profit or non-profit organizations could help everyone by utilizing this, uh, this database and using this uh, zip code knowledge to increase the uh, rate of vaccination in those communities? Absolutely. So as we moved along with that uh, data, what we've also done is added the taking CDC data and brought it down to the zip code level for vaccine hesitancy, uh, as well as those who were strongly opposed uh, to, to being vaccinated, because we got to identify where those communities are. Uh, not just the government, all of us together uh, need to understand where those communities are. Uh, there are families and brothers and sisters and neighbors in there, and we have to get to them and say, look, um, it's not just for your health, uh, but it's for the health of us all. You know, it reminds me a little bit of uh, when we were dealing with HIV, no one would say in HIV uh, that you shouldn't uh, avoid spreading the, the virus. In fact, there were laws that uh, people got arrested essentially for uh, spreading, uh, spreading the, uh, the, the HIV virus. It's not very different from, from uh, what we're doing here. I mean, obviously, you know, we're breathing it out, uh, but, the, but the virus is not mobile. It takes us to, mobile, to move it around. And so if we want to control it, uh, we got to do some very basic things and being vaccinated is one of them. Each uh, minority community is, is very different, of course. If we looked uh, for a moment at the African-American, the black communities uh, in these zip codes where these rates are, uh, rates of uh, infection are high, rates of vaccination may be lower. Is there any uh, advice you would give in terms of how to approach the topics of uh, hesitancy and resistance that might be special to these communities? And I'm thinking, for example, that there have been histories of uh, distrust based on very uh, good uh, historical evidence, distrust of uh, government organizations and government initiatives. Uh, but maybe there would be some other things that you would point to that should be addressed. Well, trust is, is really a tremendous um, issue, uh, but also what's going on in minority communities is the unfiltered content and the disinformation uh, that is pouring into minority communities. And trusted voices uh, don't have the capacity to amplify their voice in order to push back and, and drown uh, out some of that noise uh, that is persuading people uh, to, to not get vaccinated. Uh, and so there's a big problem of communications and trust uh, in minority communities, but there are trusted voices uh, and we need to lean on them. Uh, they are the ones uh, they live in community. Uh, they've been there for a long time. 
uh, but we've got to figure out how to amplify their voice. Now, what I would also say is that the African-American community, like most communities, is not monolithic. When we look at the senior population, for example, they are getting vaccinated, right? Because they they got to 65 and they know how they got to 65, <laughs> uh, which is by being careful and managing their health. It's the younger population who think they're invincible, uh, who don't listen very carefully, who don't get the message. And even more importantly, the messages may not be getting to them uh, in the way they need to get it in order to use it and, and receive it well. Uh, so we have some homework to do uh, on the communication side. And I, I think uh, the way forward is to really amplify those trusted voices uh, and get them in community to help people understand uh, we're not gonna get out of this thing unless we all work together in a deep collaboration to fight this virus off. If uh, you were speaking to the uh, leader of whether it's a small business or a big one or a large nonprofit or a big one, what would be uh, your recommendation for how they could mobilize their organizations to help with this amplification? Well, I, I think one of the things that clearly we've not done a good job with is taking very complicated ideas and making sure that they are accessible to people in community at a moment when it, it's important for them to use that information. So we could talk about warp speed and, and people in the science and the world understand exactly what, th what that means, but people in the community may not understand exactly what you're talking about. It sounds like you're rushing things around, you haven't tested the doggone thing, and you want to inject me with it, and God knows what'll happen, I'll grow horns uh, for all I know. So as we were developing warp speed, we should have been talking and preparing our community. And so I think the business community, nonprofit organizations, et cetera, um, the job is right now to take very complicated ideas uh, and, and uh, repurpose them so that they're accessible to people uh, at a moment when they can use it uh, and to do enough of it so we are crowding out the disinformation uh, and the unfiltered co content uh, that is uh, really uh, confusing people about uh, uh, whether they should get vaccinated or not. You know, it's a really uh, interesting and uh, compelling concept that uh, many of these organizations do have quite powerful communications uh, teams. And uh, it sounds like one thing uh, you're uh, advocating for is to bend uh, some of this knowledge and capability toward this challenge. Oh, absolutely. It is really... Uh, uh, the only the only way forward, um, we have to get smarter and better um, at taking science and making it available to the general public. We will pay a god awful price um, if we don't do that. And COVID is an example uh, of that. You know, we haven't explained to people. Guess what? The virus is not mobile. It doesn't have wings. It doesn't have legs. The way it transmits itself is through us and through our interactions. And the way we can stop its transmission is we got to wear a mask. We got to get vaccinated. We have to social distance. Those are ideas that we need to help the public understand so that they get why they're doing things and the, the implications, not just for themselves, but the, for their families and for their community. And uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, particularly with some of the minority communities, uh, trusted voices are extremely important. Uh, who are you thinking of when you think of the trusted voices that should be amplified? 
So there are lots of trusted voices in minority communities. Obviously, there's the, the physicians, the fairly qualified clinics, uh, faith-based organizations, patient advocacy groups, uh, community-based groups, elected officials, business people. I mean, there are a lot of trusted voices here. The problem is that they're not working collaboratively. Uh, they're disjointed. And what's happening is that those who are specially specializing in disinformation um, and, um, and unfiltered content, um, they're in an echo chamber and, they're, they're, and they are uh, drowning out uh, uh, because of the, the way in which they repeat uh, the information of drowning out those trusted voices. So the trusted voices have to work collaboratively to get things done. When you uh, think about the way in which some of these uh, misinformation elements come through, is it uh, through uh, sort of national media or is it local media? Uh, it, it happens in a lot of ways. So we, we've done work uh, with a lot of different organizations, uh, not just African-Americans, the Asian community, uh, the uh, Native American community, and each community has its own, um, its own myth. So I, I remember uh, talking to a, a group that was working with the Hmong community out in California. The Hmong community doesn't have a, a written language, and so you have to uh, reach them uh, visually. And uh, in those communities, uh, somehow they got the idea in their heads uh, that the vaccines were intended to assassinate them. And so if they uh, took the vaccine in a year, they would die. In the Asian community, uh, they were being threatened by uh, by prejudice and they were afraid that if they came out, they were going to get beaten up. Uh, and so they had to look for protective spaces in which they could get care. Uh, and in the African-American community, just a long tradition of distrust uh, in uh, of the healthcare system generally, of political leaders in many instances. What people don't realize in the African-American community, for example, uh, and, I, and I hate to bring in these, these uh, policy, uh, uh, political affiliations, but they have some bearing on it. Lots of minority African-Americans live in districts in which the political leadership is Republican. And, uh, and, and so the question is, can they trust them? Can they, can they listen to their voice? And I think that's the responsibility of elected officials to make sure uh, that they are communicating really vital information uh, to their constituents um, so that they lower the risk and make sure that people want to get vaccinated. We were talking about the importance of collaboration and uh... What jumps out at me is that uh, leaders of the sort we were describing, whether they're in the for-profit or nonprofit world, uh, should be approaching uh, you and your organization for guidance. Is that is that fair? Uh, we, we we love to partner. Look, healthcare is a collaboration. I don't know if anybody thinks about it, but it's all about collaboration. Uh, we have to work together to protect ourselves and our family and our community, and so. Um, we love to work with others and, and seek those collaborations out. And hopefully folks will come to us uh, because we'd love to work with them. That was Dr. Gary Puckren, president of the National Minority Quality Forum, speaking with the Vanguard Network's Ken Banta. This conversation is part of the Vanguard Network's vaccination project. Our partner is Global Vaccination Advisors. Podcasts like this one are just one of the membership benefits of the Vanguard Network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high-performance leadership. If you'd like more information about us or the vaccination campaign, please visit our website at 
thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silver. Thanks for listening.